coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I want to invite all of the elementary age students to come up uh, for the the children's sermon. If you guys want to come up here and, and grab a seat. Um, do you know how many kids you have? Cool. So, okay, so, so, so we have three, and, and, and we have uh, little Miss Gabby, or Gabriella, right, um, who, who we are fostering here. And so, so my son Judson, who's not here, um, you may know this, you may not know this, uh, but Judson was adopted into our family. Do you, do you guys know what that means? Okay, so, so adoption means that... Um, he had a, he had a different mommy and a different daddy at birth, um, but but he needed a, a mommy and daddy to take care of him, and so God called Megan and I to to open up our family and, and to welcome him into our family, and then uh, the the state of West Virginia, which is where we used to live, you guys know where that is? It's a long ways away. You you can't even like more than fifty miles, but like you can't even drive there in a day. Right, like it takes it takes two days to drive there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the state of West Virginia said that that Judson is is our family, and so we were able to to bring him into our family, both with our love, but also legally. And one of the things that 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 the paperwork, right? Because there's always paperwork when you do something with the government, right? You guys know that. Um, the, the paperwork says that, that Judson is an heir just like Reese and Piper are heirs. You guys know what an heir is? Not like heir, like the stuff you breathe, but heir, it's spelled H-E-I-R. Do you guys know what that means? An heir means that you inherit something from your parents, okay? And Judson inherits the same things that Reese and Piper will be able to inherit because he's their son. And the Bible tells us, what we just read in Galatians, is that because of Jesus, we get to inherit everything that God has. Have you ever thought about that? Do you know what God has? He has everything. Right? Like, maybe you've sung as, as a little kid, he's got the whole world in his hands. Have you ever thought about that? Like, God owns everything in the world. And all of the stars that you see at night, all of those suns and moons and planets that are far, far away from here, God owns those too. And the Bible tells us that because of Jesus, we get to share in the ownership of all of that. And so that's one of the neat things that, that, that the Bible promises us, is that if we trust in Jesus, if we believe in his cross and his resurrection, we become the sons and daughters of God. So I just want to encourage you with that today. And I want you to think about that as you have your children.
if there's exiting, uh, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Uh, if you're using one of those pew Bibles, you can o- open up to page 808. So Matthew three thirteen. And as you're turning, I'm going to pray for us. So, so go ahead and find where you need to be. And then you can bow your head and, and invite him to join you. Father, I, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to open it and to study it and, and to, to see what you were calling us to do. God, I, I pray that we take seriously um, what, what these few verses mean. Father, help us to, to look at Jesus' obedience and not, not overlook it not be um, someone who has heard this story before and, and just kind of moves on to the next. Father, let us linger here. Let us, let us see what you want us to see. Father, help us to, to feel what you want us to feel. And God, bring us all to the cross. Father, for those of us in here today who do not trust in Jesus, help us to see that his life, his death, and his resurrection are what we need. Father, help those of us that are believers to take seriously the call that you have for us. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your law. Speak, Holy Spirit, fill these words today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I don't know if, if, if you know this, um, Human beings are really good at missing the point, right? I mean, is that, can we, can we agree on that? So, growing up in my household, um, you know, my dad is a, uh, he's a man who loves the Lord and loves his family, but he's, a, he's also a man who loves the music of the late 60s and the 70s, right? So, one of the bands that I grew up listening to was, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and if you know anything about them, they, they broke up in the 70s, and, and their lead singer was a man named John Fogarty, and, and he continued to produce music, and, and one, of the, one of the songs that he put out in the 80s was called uh, Center Field, and I remember in college, right, Megan and I having this long discussion about the lyrics of John Fogarty's Center Field, because I was certain that the chorus went, put me in cold, I'm ready to play. And Megan was adamant that it was put me in cold, I'm ready to play. Now, it makes sense to me, right, that because if you know anything about me, I'm, I'm a tad impatient. And so when I show up to the ball field, I really don't want to stretch and throw. I want to I play immediately. As I've gotten older, I've learned the lack of wisdom that is in that. Um, but I just assumed that the guy showed up to the ballpark ready to play, and he wanted the coach to put him in cold. Well, thankfully... You know, when we were in college, that was 2000 or 2004. There was this funny thing called the Internet, and Google had popped up, and so we were able to Google what are the lyrics to John Fogarty's Center Field. And my wife, not the first time in our relationship, and certainly not the last time, was proven to be right. It's, it's put me in coach, not put me in cold. But I completely missed the point of, 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 of that lyric, right? I was listening to This American Life, and 
there's this gal named Rebecca, and she was just telling a story of, of when she was in second grade. Uh, she was sitting at the, at the lunch table, and her friend Rachel came and sat across from her, and Rachel said, I know who the tooth fairy is. And Rebecca was like, who's the tooth fairy? And Rachel said, it's my dad. She said, I was asleep last night after I lost my tooth. And I was waking up, and I turned around, and I noticed my dad was taking the tooth from under my pillow and putting the money underneath it. So this means my dad is the tooth fairy. Of course, Rebecca thought this was the greatest news in the world. So she goes home. She's all super important. And she goes up to her mom and she says, I know who the tooth fairy is. And the mom's a little concerned that things have been ruined at school for school. She says, Rachel's dad. (laughs) And so Rebecca's mom, not being one to waste a moment, says, yes, you're absolutely right. Ronnie Lieberfield is the tooth fairy. He may dress up and act like he's a businessman, but really at nighttime he sneaks around the world giving money for tooth to, to fairies. We, it's not just second graders, right? We, we all are really good at listening for voices. So Matthew wants us not to miss what the baptism of Jesus means. Because there's, there's lots of different people who look at this in different ways. And so I want us to, to patiently walk through these five verses and, and to really clearly see what Matthew wants us to see. That Jesus' obedience is, one, what we need as believers, but two, it's what we're called to emulate. So starting in verse 13, if you're with me, let's, let's kind of walk through these verses together. So Matthew 3, 13, here's what Matthew tells us. He says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by John. So just as a, as a refresher really quickly, or if you're new with us, this will help you get caught up. Um, Galilee is this region in northern Israel. Okay, if you think of Israel as having the Mediterranean Sea to its west and the Jordan River to its east, uh, the Jordan River runs from two separate Lakes or seas, right? The, 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 the northern sea is the, the Sea of Galilee, and then the southern sea is the Dead Sea. So Galilee was this region in the north around the, Ga- the Sea of Galilee, and it was, it was a rural area. It wasn't seen as, as, be, as being as sophisticated as, as the cosmopolitan Jerusalem or Caesarea so, you know, if you came from Galilee, you would have been known as, as a hillbilly or, or the redneck. But that's where Jesus grew up, and, and, and he comes down, we're told, to the Jordan. Now, now the Jordan is this river, right, that actually runs through the region of Galilee. Um, but the Jordan area that, that we're talking about specifically is near Jerusalem. This is where John the Baptist had set up camp. And so Jesus is, is coming from the northern region down to uh, the southern parts of Israel and, and Jesus comes to see John. But he doesn't just come to see John. He comes to be baptized by John. Right? And we've talked about this, how, how the word baptism, it, it comes from the Greek word baptismo, which means to, to, to be immersed underwater. Uh, if, if, if it's in the, 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 the plural, it actually means to, or I'm sorry, not the plural, but, but the past tense, it actually means to, to be drowned. 
Um, if you're talking about ships, it means for a ship to sink. So it has with it the context of going underwater. And, and we know that John the Baptist was baptizing people to represent their repentance of sin. They were coming to John, sorrow, or I'm sorry, sorry for their sin, and being baptized to show that, that they wanted to turn from their life of sin, to change their mind, change their heart, and change their life. And so this John that's mentioned in verse 13 is John the Baptist. He is the first prophet that Israel has seen since Malachi, which is over 400 years before him. He would dress in camel hair to point the people of his time to Elijah, knowing that the Messiah was coming. And so we look at verse 14. Matthew says, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. word prevented this is happening at the same time as what we've read from john chapter one as john sees jesus coming he says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world right this idea of of a lamb coming would have 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 taken the people of israel those that were hearing john the baptist message it, it would have taken them back to the paschal lamb in the book of exodus who, if you remember, a lamb had to be brought into the house. It had to be a lamb without spot or blemish. And it was sacrificed and then put on the doorposts of the homes of the nation of Israel so that when God sent death to Egypt, it would bypass those homes that had the lamb's blood on them. And so this is, this is meant to, to draw Israel's heart to Jesus, the lamb that died in their stead also would have reminded them of, even though it wasn't lambs, of, of the two goats from the Day of Atonement. And we find it in the book of Leviticus that on these, on these goats were, were prayed the sins of Israel. And one of the goats was, was sacrificed to, to die as the penalty. And the other goat was driven away from the camp as far away as it could go into the wilderness to remind us that not only does God forgive our sins, but he takes them from us. We're not defined by them anymore. Our identity is as believers and children of God and not as sinners. Now, we still struggle with sin and we still fight sin, but that's not our identity. And so John does something funny, right? He tries to prevent Jesus from being baptized. And friends, I think this is something we cannot miss here because John is, he's, he's attempting to show humility, right? I mean, last week we saw where he said that he's not even worthy of untying and carrying Jesus' sandal. And we talked about how only the lowest of the low humans untied and carried sandals back then because everybody wore sandals, no cities had pavement, it was all dirty, dusty roads, animals ran freely through cities and towns, so we know what was picked up on feet, right? And so only, only slaves would untie and carry and clean shoes. And John says, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. So we understand his humility. We understand how he sees himself before Jesus. But to try to prevent God in human flesh from doing something, that's not humility, friends. That's audacity. 
That's saying, oh no, Jesus, I know better than you. Let me make the decisions during this time. How laughable is that? But how often do we do that to God? God, I know you're saying to trust you in this circumstance. God, I know you are calling me to do the right thing, but you just don't understand. I need to do it my way here, right? That's what John is trying to do here. He's trying to prevent Jesus from doing what Jesus wants to do. He's trying to tell God, right? It's like an ant trying to tell you what to do. John's not going to win here, right? And so we look at verse 16. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Again, he continues. That word fulfill all righteousness, it's a, that's a heavy phrase. Craig Blomberg, the, the New Testament scholar, says that, that this means to, to complete everything that forms part of a relationship of obedience to God. Right? There, there are two things that you have to understand, friend. One, Jesus is not a sinner coming to, to repent of or be cleansed of his sins. Right? Jesus is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man all the time. From the moment he was in Mary's womb to the moment that he died on the cross to the moment that he was resurrected and he ascended into heaven, he has always been fully God and fully man. So this was not some sort of Jesus was the best human that there ever was, and then here he was cleansed and he became God. No, he has always been God. So this is not something where Jesus needs to be cleansed of sins. And this is also not Jesus doing something just so that we will follow him. Right? One of the reasons that we're Baptists is because we believe that, that baptism is reserved only for those that believe. And we take Jesus as an example, but that's not the main point. Jesus says this is to fulfill all righteousness. Right? Jesus' righteousness is what sets him apart from us, and it's also part of what saves us. And we'll get to that in a second. But what is happening here is what theologians, so if you want to impress your friends today, you might want to write this down, what they call active obedience. And what we mean by that is Jesus is doing what the Father has told him to do. He is being baptized because he is being obedient to the Father. And his obedience is credited to our account so that when God looks at our lives for those of us that turn from our sins and trust in Christ when God looks at our lives he doesn't see our sins and our rebellion and our mistakes he sees Jesus's obedience one of the best theologians that I know the Christian rapper Shai Lin says this about this verse. Jesus, there's nothing greater God could give for us, but before he gave his life, he lived for us. It's one of salvation's massive ingredients, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
things active with me. I bet there haven't been a lot of rappers quoted from this pulpit, right? But they, you, you, you just witnessed it. But here's the thing, believers. Galatians 3.29, what we just read and, and what I talked about with the kids, right? That we are heirs according to the promise. That we, that we inherit everything that Jesus had because of what Jesus did. In fact, we would even take it a, a step further. We would look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, and you should probably be tired of us pointing there, but we go there all the time, right? That he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. The great exchange. The only thing we bring to God is our sin, and the only thing Jesus brings to us is righteousness. And it's, it's the worst trade This is what Jesus is doing by being baptized. But friends, our baptism is, it's different than John's, right? Because John's baptism represented repentance of sins. But ours represents the death in our hearts to our sin and our life that we found through Jesus. It is, as the, the London Baptist Confession of 1689 says, it engrafts us to Jesus it joins us with Him. It makes us the body of Christ. We're indwelled with the Holy Spirit or baptized, to use the language from last week. Jesus takes up residence in our hearts by the filling of the Holy Spirit. That is what we are being pointed to here with Jesus' righteousness. So we go to verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, isn't this funny that, that there's this big emphasis put on the baptism and then it's, we don't even read about that, right? Like the baptism happens and we don't, we don't get to, to read that, right? Matthew goes straight into, and when he was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now this word went up, right? we might be tempted to say, ha, it's proof for immersion, right? Because to come up, you have to go down, right? So you go down and then you come up. That's not what Matthew is saying, okay? He's saying, and when he went up out of the river onto the bank, okay? I think there are other places where we can make that argument, right? I mean, Romans 6, 4, one of my other favorite go-to verses, that we are buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. Just the meaning of bab baptizo, right? Uh, but but that's, that's not what Matthew is pointing to here. He's simply saying that Jesus came out of the river and out of the water. But we are told that the heavens opened. What does this mean? Does it mean that it was a cloudy day and the, and the clouds separated? Uh, does it mean that, that <laughs> I mean, when God shows up, in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, right? With the, you think of the shepherds in the field in Luke to, at, at the announcement of Jesus' birth, how, how there's bright lights and there's angels and all these things. This could mean that. We don't really know. I mean, the, the literal translation of this is just that the sky opened. 
We don't know what this means. But here's what we do know. Those that witnessed Jesus' baptism understood that it was from God. That God was moving in the life of Jesus. And we're told that the Spirit of God descended like a dove. So here we see the Holy Spirit, and and think about what's being communicated here, right? Remember what Matthew's going to tell us at the end of of Matthew? He's going to say, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's a moment where you have the Son being baptized, and the Father in heaven is doing what with the Holy Spirit? He is sending him. Right, this is, this is um, I was reading some of the older commentaries, like Matthew Henry and John Calvin, and they were like, or, and, and even, even some of the real old guys, like Augustine and Athanasius from, from, you know, just a few hundred years after Jesus. And all of them remark on this passage about how can people miss the Trinity? You have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're all involved here. And so the Father is sending the Holy Spirit, not because Jesus was lacking or he wasn't God. This was a sign to John and those that were with him that Jesus is God in human flesh. A term like a dove. How often do we see in Christian art What represents the Holy Spirit? A dove, right? Now, here's the problem. I'm going to be a stickler, and some of y'all might think of me as a stick in the mud, and the older I get, the the more that's coming true, right? If you ask an English teacher, whenever you compare two things that are unalike, and you use the word like, what does that mean? It means they're so similar trying to, to illustrate using two things that, that aren't alike to help someone understand. So do I think that a literal dove came and rested on Jesus? No. I think the Holy Spirit did. And I think the Holy Spirit took the form of something like a dove. Okay? If you want even more problems, uh, the Greek word for dove is also the Greek word for pigeon. So for those of you that don't like pigeons, but think doves are wonderful, just know the Greeks thought they were about the same thing, okay? <laughs> I mean, English has two different words for those birds, but we only have one, for for lo- one word for love, and the Greeks had multiple words for love, right? Anyways, so the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon Jesus, and, and the fact that it, it was like a dove should remind us of two things. The first one is Genesis 1. Right, where the Spirit of God hovers over the water like a bird. Right? It, it should draw us to the, the, the workings of the Spirit. But on top of that, there's a, a time in the Old Testament when Israel is referred to as being like a dove. And it's not because Israel was gracious and beautiful. In Hosea chapter 7, God through Hosea tells Ephraim, which is just another term for Israel, that they are being like a silly bird who runs to Egypt every time they're in need. This is God condemning Israel. And we ask the question, well, well why, would, why, would, why would the dove point us to that? Well, 
remember that promise to Abraham that his offspring would bless the nations? You see, Israel in the Old Testament, because they kept running to other countries, especially Egypt during the time of Babylon and Assyria, God brought He brought judgment upon Egypt to show Israel that they couldn't just rely on Egypt. They needed to rely on him. And so Israel wasn't so much blessing the other nations as as bringing condemnation upon them. But here is Jesus, the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who came to save Israel. But not just Israel, but also us Gentiles too. And it's through Jesus and his ministry that the offspring of Israel blesses us. And I think this is part of what Matthew is trying to help us see, that the Holy Spirit is is coming upon Jesus to remind us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And then when Jesus leaves and we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, then we are sent out to do what? To tell the nations about Jesus. The missionary implication here. As we finish up with verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That voice from heaven, it simply means that the voice came from the sky. And we know that there weren't any planes or blimps flying overhead because they didn't exist yet, right? This is God speaking on behalf of Jesus calling him his beloved son. We don't use the term beloved very much, uh, but it simply means what it looks like, to be loved, someone that you love. God is reminding us that he exists in this state of love. Not to get too Trinitarian on us, right? but we believe in one God who is made up of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And God has always existed and will always exist in this fellowship of love. Because they love each other. They're radically committed to the well-being, the joy, and the honor of each of the members of the Godhead. And so the Father says, this is my beloved Son. He's telling us we have no idea how much he loves him. But not only does he love him, but he is well pleased with him because his son is obedient. Friends, part of our inheritance is God's pleasure of us one by Jesus. I want to say that again because I think it's important for some of you to hear. Part of our inheritance is God's pleasure of us Part of what you inherit is that you are his beloved son and his beloved daughter. And with you, he is well pleased. And friends, he is not well pleased with you because of what you've done. Right? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21, what did you bring to God? Your fists and pockets full of sin. God came to you with righteousness and he came to you with an inheritance you could not earn on your own because it's not an inheritance, right? If you earn it yourself, 
It's your earned money. But you inherit this treasure. Beloved child of God, this is your world purpose. That's what we should all put on. This is my purpose. Right? Essentially, you put buy a horse. yourself or those that will see it with this is yours. It's yours by Christ and His active obedience. Friends, that act of obedience leads Him to the cross. It results in His resurrection. And so the question is, how do we respond? How do we take this and, and what do we do with it? Well, first thing, if you are an unbeliever, you need to repent, believe the gospel, and be baptized. You need to turn from your sins. You need to trust in Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, and death-defeating resurrection. That it is real, true, historical, and applicable to you. And you need to take the step of obedience and be baptized. Believers, I would encourage you to remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Go back to the meaning of it. Don't let your baptism be some sort of hollow tradition that you do because that's what you're supposed to do. Think back to that idea that Paul gives us in Romans 6, 4, that you are buried with him. That the old you is dead. And that you've been raised to life with him. That there is a resurrected you. The, the Galatians 2.20 says, the life you now live in the flesh, you live in him. <laughs> that it is Christ living in you, the Holy Spirit working in your life to bear fruit and to change you. So remember your baptism. Go back to it. Let it mean something. Friends, if, if you're struggling with, well, was I a believer when I was a bat when I was baptized or, or was I not? That's that's not, look. I'm not I'm not trying to raise the number of baptisms in this church. Okay, I, I don't have any interest in that. But if you're struggling with where you were before you were baptized and where you were after you were baptized, we can sit down and talk. Okay, but do not think that you, there is salvation found in being baptized. That's, that's not what we're saying. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But baptism is a, is a, it is a response of obedience. And it's an ordinance, right? What we mean when we say ordinance is it's a, it is something that has meaning. And the meaning that it has is the same as the Lord's Supper. We are proclaiming Christ's death and resurrection until he returns. And baptism is supposed to show what that death and resurrection did to us. Okay? So remember your baptism. The, the third thing, rejoice in Jesus' obedience. Rejoice in Jesus' obedience. Find joy in what Jesus did for you. Celebrate the fact that he obeyed the Father. Even, look guys, we're, we're going to start next week, Matthew chapter 4. And I don't mean to give away the story because I want you to come back next week, 
But Jesus goes into the desert, which we can, we can understand because the climate in Israel is similar to the climate here, right? So imagine going into the desert for 40 days and fasting. No eating. 40 days in the desert. And Satan shows up and wants to trick you again. Says you can make food out of your rocks. You're the son of God. Take care of your hunger. Do it right here, right now. Can I tell you something, friends? If that was me, I don't think I would have tricked him. I would have, I wouldn't have made bread. I would have made enchiladas, right? But I would have eaten. I'm willing to bet you would have too. But Jesus didn't. And his active obedience is credited to us now. So rejoice in his obedience. When you sing songs like we just sang, how deep the Father's love, feel the depth and the meaning of the words that you're singing. Don't just sing them because they're on the screen, but think about them. Find joy in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Final thing, and this is, uh, this will be your fourth value, okay? Repent, obey, and repent. Live a life of repentance. Confess your sin, turn from your sin, fight your sin. Do what God tells you to do. And where's the best source to find that? The Bible, right? Jesus says in the Gospel of John, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, will you keep them perfectly? Absolutely not. That's why we said repeat, right? Repent, obey, and repeat. The Christian life is one of, of falling often, but getting up and continuing to follow Jesus. It's hard, it's difficult, that's why we need each other, that's why we need the church. But friends, this is what God is calling us to. This is what Jesus' baptism is showing us, that we need a, for lack of better terms, we need an alien obedience, right? Not like Marvin the Martian, but an obedience that is outside of us. We need Jesus' obedience on our behalf. up your cross, follow me. Die to yourself, follow me. That's what it's about. Repent, obey, and then next, repent. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we can walk through passages like this, see your faithfulness, and be called to faithfulness ourselves. Father, I pray that that if I did not make this clear, that you would make it clear that, that we are not saved by our own works. That, that it is, it is, we cannot be saved apart from Christ. Without his death and resurrection on our behalf, without your gracious giving to us of faith in him, we are uh, lost and condemned and we stand before you judged and guilty. Father, for those of us that are believers, help us to see this, this call of obedience as a call to us. Father, let us trust deeply in your grace. Strengthen our faith. 
help us Spirit to to stay in prudent conduct, to to walk in good works that you have created beforehand. Father, I, I pray that um, I pray that if there are believers in here today that would hear the call to repentance and faith and and continued responses, that they would see that they need Jesus and His righteousness. And Father, I pray that we would all go forth today, richly to the full measure of who you are and the and the, the beauty of the gospel. And, and that, that the, the cross and resurrection would be what makes our hearts sing and leap. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, friends, it's time for us to respond. If, if you're an unbelieving